Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hello, welcome to Aging Life, the show about all things aging. For the last couple of weeks, I've been doing what I'm calling our Boomer Series, where we address topics of interest to baby boomers. And today I am privileged to have with me uh, an experienced, uh, very experienced investment expert, author and speaker, Ron Sirs. Ron recently published a book called Baby Boomer Investing in the Perilous Decade of the 2020s. He's got a lot to say about uh, investing in today's world. He has an amazing resume in the investment world. Um, he has been a consultant. Um, I was just saying to him before the show that uh, as I read his resume again, it, it it occurs to me that he's really a serial entrepreneur. After many, many years in the investment world and consulting with large target date funds, uh, investment groups, Ron has created a number of um, programs for boomers and investors and um, has patents. Uh, and, and I hope we'll talk about some of that before the show is over. Um, he is joining us today to share his thoughts about the current and future state of the world as it relates to investing finances and what baby boomers need to understand about their retirement savings. Um, he's here to caution us. And as I was telling him, I'm a bit of a risk taker, but I'm not that young. And so this show is for me as well as for you. Um, it's, it's great to have you here, Ron. I appreciate so much you joining me on Aging Life. Well, thanks, Nancy. Thanks for having me. It's been great to get to know you uh, for this show, to preparing for this show. So, Ron, I'd first like to talk a little bit about your book, because a lot of the ideas we're going to discuss today come from, um, well, they don't come from that book, but you've, you've put them into that book. And so tell us a little bit about what, what moved you to write a book. Sure. So we started the Baby Boomer Investing Show in February of uh, 2019. Oh, okay. so, we, so we've been doing this for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, and it struck me that we've there's enough videos there to show everybody, or at least make available to as many people. And so I decided to, to write a book. And the unique thing about the book is that if you <clears throat> do the Kindle version, which I highly recommend, Yes. As you go through, each chapter has links to one or more of our uh, shows. So the real appeal of the book is you can read. And if you want to know more, you can click on the video. Or if you open up the topic and you say, I really don't want to read this. Can, you, can I just watch a video? You have that option. Oh, so nice. I thought the video would, uh, I'm sorry, the book would be a great way to uh, get people exposed to the I think it's important work that my sister and I have been doing in the Baby Boomer Investing Show. 
So that that's why I wrote the book. It just came out last last month. And we're a little late on this show. The the Kindle version was free last week. <laughs> but but it's only nine dollars, so I don't think it's it's unaffordable by, by any means. You can still get the paperback if you like. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I I mean that's fine with me to do that, but I still recommend the Kindle. Well the Kindle version allows you to click on to the videos and Yes. Right. And very nice. That's great. That's that's really helpful. And so um you know, in our conversations, I hadn't really thought about the fact that boomers are the first generation to be responsible for the investment of their own retirement savings, that mm -hmm. prior generations had relied on pensions and other people making investment decisions for those pensions. Sure. Um, most advisors tell us that a 60-40 stock and bond split is the way to invest, but you don't agree with that. No, not at all. And the history of the 60-40 is, uh, I think, worth looking into. So I think it was our third episode. So the first two episodes, we talked about basics. And then we got the questions about, so you're saying 60-40 is wrong. Is my advisor wrong? And I think they are. Uh, so, so we did a whole episode on the 70-year history of investment consulting. And, and, and I'll, I'll do a shortcut here. Most advisors and money managers use what is called models. So when you go to your consultant or, or your money manager, they're going to work with you to figure out your uh, your risk appetite. So you said you're, you're high risk Nancy and, and they'll yes. mm -hmm. probably take that at face value. They have to know their client. That's, that's a mandate. So you, you may very well fill out a questionnaire and they'll take that questionnaire and their interaction with you and choose a model for you. And there's generally five models, believe it or not, there's just five, even mm -hmm. though I think a lot of people would say, this is custom made for you and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. This is generally not true. Um, but 60-40 is the one in the middle. And that has sort of become sort of through time, the place that people gravitated to, no surprise. I mean, some people maybe a little more risk, maybe some a little less, mm -hmm. but the stuff you'll read in the, in the financial industry is almost I, I, every day I'm reading something about 60-40 and every day somebody's saying 60-40 is wrong and they're saying it for a totally different reason than, than me. 60-40 they're saying is wrong now because the 40, sort of the uh, bond portion, the safe portion, isn't safe. Bonds are riskier than they have ever been. And uh, so the measure of that is, is duration, which is the exposure to interest rates. It's now at six, which doesn't seem like a big number, but it's, it's been normally at, in 2008 when it defended, it was at um, under three. So bond risk is now 70% higher than it was when we last needed it. We last needed that protection in 2008. So that's true. And that's a good reason why 6040 is wrong. But it's, it's wrong for baby boomers for a totally different reason. And then this is this, retirement researchers have identified what is called the risk zone, R-I-S-K zone. Mm -hmm. And that is the five to 10 years before and after you retire. And it's hard to get your head around the math here, but the risk zone identifies the time when it's what is called sequence of return risk really matters. 
And if you were to be one of the unfortunate ones who happens to be transitioning from retirement, uh, from working life to retirement, and you lose money, good chance you won't come back from that. And part of the reason for that is while you're retired, you're taking money out. Right. And the sequence of return risk is, I'm going to simplify it here, but you care much more about losing money early on in retirement than you care about it later on. And the reason for that is when you first retire, your assets are going to be at their highest. Then as you deplete those assets and spend them, it matters somewhat you know, when, they, when the pool is lower because now you're really relying on those assets. <clears throat> but from a financial perspective, much it, it matters less and less as you go through time. So the critical thing, and it's one of our four pillars of investing, is realize that there's this concept called risk capacity. And it's a new concept. In our 70-year history, this notion of risk capacity first got introduced with the advent of target date funds. And target date funds first came on the scene real in 2006. So they, they were used before for college savings plans. But in 2006, the Pension Protection Act identified three default alternatives. And really, I can come back to default alternatives, but target date funds were, the, were the, the ones that got to be used most. So from 2006, there's almost nothing, and there's $2.5 trillion now. And the big thing about target date funds is it says, take a fair amount of risk for young people. And the underlying concept there is they don't have any much assets. So if they were to lose money when they're 20 years old on a $100 account, they've got their whole life ahead of them. Yeah. They're going to get uh, their pay and everything else. So it's, it, it matters and it, it may sour them on, on the investing. Uh, but from a perspective of long-term uh, uh, retirement dignity, it doesn't matter much. But as people get older and they enter this risk zone, you really need to protect them. So the difference between risk capacity and risk tolerance is, is really interesting. Mm -hmm. In the early yeah. days of, of financial consulting, consultants were taught to try to bring the client to their maximum level of risk because they're going to like it. <laughs> risk gets rewarded. So, so tolerance was, was really more like maximum risk. That changed, thankfully. And through time, that changed to management to objectives. Uh, which basically said, what do you want to achieve with your assets? And we'll figure out, we'll figure out, our consultant will figure out how much risk you need to take to achieve your objectives. And that was a breakthrough. But the yeah. current breakthrough is risk capacity. And that is basically to say there comes a time in everyone's life when regardless of what their objectives are, their major objective should be to protect their assets, not lose their savings. Because, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nancy. Oh, you know, I just, I, I'm waiting for you to be done because I have so many questions. <laughs> I want to well, back. The bottom line, I, 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 I became aware that my fellow baby boomers are generally 60-40, and I'll tell you how. The Employee mm -hmm. Benefit Research Institute runs a report, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, it reports on average asset allocations in individual retirement accounts, IRAs. And it's 60-40 for 20-year-olds, but it's also 60-40 for 80-year-olds. It's 60-40 for everybody. And you look at that and you go, there's this something wrong with this picture. 
that 60-40 rule is so entrenched right. that somebody needs to warn baby boomers. And I've, so I've spoken to many of my friends. I'll just tell you that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anecdotally, they all go, I'm not worried because I have this advisor. I trust him. And I say, do you know what your asset allocation is? And they sort of know. Um, but if if they don't do anything else from my advice, I think they need to look. And their advisor's probably just fine. But the notion of trust but verify, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. If they've been wedged into the standard one size fits all sixty forty, they really need to to reconsider. So, um, okay. Um, so, what are some of the alternatives? Well, first of all, get in touch with 6040 is, is high risk. Mm -hmm. Second, if you want to follow what everybody else is saying, be in touch that 40% long-term bonds is pretty high risk too. So, Yeah, and so can you uh, – it's a simple concept, but huh? um, for me, the simple concept is the reason bonds are so high risk right now is that interest rates are so low. Interest rates have no, never been lower. They That's have right. nowhere else to go. And yeah. if and when they rise, the value, you know, you may still get X amount of money out of it, but the value drops, particularly for those people who are in bond mutual funds. Yes. The, the value, underlying value drops. And as you said, Will we ever see them come back down after that hill, that uphill number? And that's when you don't make back your money. Yeah. Right? That's exactly right. So yeah. a lot of people don't really understand that when interest rates rise, bond prices fall. Mm -hmm. With a duration of six, if interest rates were to rise 10%, which isn't that much by historical mm -hmm. standards. Mm -hmm. If they rose by 10%, the value of the bonds would go down by 60% more than half. So the duration is the multiplier. It brings you from, it translates changes in interest rates into um, uh, profits. The counter to that is if interest rates go down, you would get six, you would appreciate six, but there's nowhere to go down. There's nowhere to down, go. Yeah, go. I mean, people who have been holding them the last X number of years. Sure have certainly enjoyed a rise in value. But um, so what's the alternative on that side of the yeah. fence? So, so I have a, a patent on my target date fund design. Okay. And my design brings people in 401k plans who are holding target date funds to less than 30% in risky assets. And I define risky as stocks and bonds. So where's the other 70%? Yeah. Right now, it's mostly in tips, treasury inflation protected securities. So I'm, I'm, my version of safe probably would have been cash mm -hmm. three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. But now with the government printing trillions of dollars, I just cannot see how we're not going to get inflation. And let me just take a little mm -hmm. segue here just to... I don't think many people are really in touch with this, but the, the thing that saved us in 2008 was what was called quantitative easing. And, and that put $4.5 trillion into the economy, basically the Fed buying up bonds. 
COVID, the COVID relief now under Trump and Biden, is this, so Biden added $2 trillion to that. Trump had um, a little over three. So he had a little over $5 trillion in COVID relief. So 4.2 plus um, 5.3 is $9.5 trillion. And I say that number, and it's, you sort of say, so is that a lot? Not a lot? I mean, we're, we're a big country. It's $9.5 trillion a lot. We, our most expensive war was World War II. That war cost us in today's dollars $4.5 trillion. Okay. So we have now spent twice what we spent on World War II. Yeah. And we're not done. No, so, so Biden wants to spend another six trillion dollars. But yeah. um, I, I, I really want to f finish this thought because I think it's important. Quantitative easing did not move the inflation needle, and people look at that and say, "Well, that money didn't cause inflation, so that's all good." We'll we'll print some more because hey, <laughs> this is all good. <laughs> Nothing bad happens. We have had serious what is called asset price inflation. And that basically is part of the reason that the stock and bond markets have gone up so much. Most of that money went to people who bought stocks. So we have had inflation, but it's not in the consumer price index. Well, and I don't know how real estate plays into that, but the entire country is seeing phenomenal. Yeah, so the $5 trillion is going yeah. into helicopter money where it's going to be used. And we're starting to see it. And it's just beginning, but, you know, the um, commodity prices are going up. Um, inflation is going to go up because it's just, it's now in the place where we can see it. Hmm. So the consumer price index. So, um, okay. Well, we can talk a little bit about inflation type assets. Yes. Sure. Although so that, in my model, I, I need safe. So that the, the 30% yes. in risky assets is in regular stocks, um, basically intermediate term bonds, but the 70% is in treasury inflation, protected securities, intermediate and long tips. Um, I think the concern about having a, a serious market collapse in this decade goes like this. One of the strong arguments for high stock prices right now is that interest rates are low. They've never been lower. And the mechanics that happens there, and, and, and Nancy, you know this as well as anybody else, security analysts try to come up with a fair value for a stock. And the way they do that is they forecast the earnings on that stock, and then they discount those earnings back to today using a low interest rate today. And that gives a fair value. When interest rates go up, they will start discounting those earnings, the same earnings, at now a much higher rate. That will give them a much lower fair value for that stock. And they'll stop being willing to pay current prices. So stock market prices will fall. There's literally a dozen other mechanisms that are threatening the stock market. But that's my favorite one. I think that's we're, that, we're going to talk about those. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, um, you're. It's it's a lot to keep up with. Um, it is a lot, and I, I, I mm -hmm. particularly, I I think I'd be saying the same thing to baby boomers 
regardless of the threats in the economy right now? Because of the risk zone. Risk capacity, exactly. The risk capacity, yes. So let's, um, we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, I'm going to pull together some of my questions from all that I have just heard. And uh, we'll talk some more with Ron Sirs. Um, I'm going to say investment expert. This is this is expert level stuff, and uh, we appreciate hearing it. So we'll be right back with Ron Sirs. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Ron Sirs, author of the book, Tell Me, Ron. Baby Boomer Investing in the Perilous Decade of the 2020s. There you go. This rolls off your tongue. It just rolls right (laughs) off. It's a mouthful. And um, we, um, he's been sharing a lot of information. I would like to um, hear more about, and this is personal for me, as I mentioned to him. I'm a bit of a risk taker. I know I have maybe those five more years before I start drawing, but I want to protect what I have. Sure. And uh, and for those who are retired later in life, um, and certainly those who are already withdrawing um, funds, it's really critical that that they not lose value. And so I was asking during the break about um, the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. I assume those are Treasury bonds. Yes. Um, um, are those easily purchased, um, well, through an advisor, but on your own? Is that something you can find on your own? Um, I asked him about gold. We talked about, I'd like to talk about Bitcoin. Um, Good. A lot of us are getting interested in that. 
after it's had a big run-up. But I think um, I can imagine having a global currency at some point in the future. Um, so let's talk about inflation-related. If you think inflation is is coming, and uh, a lot of people are coming to agree with that, um, what kinds of, A, what kinds of investments should one be thinking about? And B, in just sort of that general conservative zone, outside of the 30%, what sorts of things should people be looking at? Well, no, the Treasury Inflation Protection Securities tips are certainly mm-hmm. one. And you can buy them online. And I, I haven't done that personally, but it's uh, usgov.treasury or something like that. Okay. If you just enter into your, your Google search, Treasury Inflation Protection Securities, you'll find it. Um, there's one that, that's easier to buy for individuals, that, and only individuals can buy them. They're called I bonds. You know, the little letter I and then the word bonds. And I don't know why, but they, they're limited to, um, at last I knew, each person can only buy $10,000 worth uh, per year. So if you're a couple, you buy $20,000 worth of I-bonds. And, and those are sort of cool because they're easy to buy. Uh, just go online, you'll, you'll see them. And, but the, the, the deal there is if you have a 3% um, coupon on, on the bond that you buy, if, it, if uh, inflation goes up another three, when that bond matures, it's 6% more, you get a premium. So the principal amount that, uh, that, that you get paid at the end of the maturity, the term, uh, increases. So that, that's, that's how it gets inflated, or how it gets protected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one thing I would warn people about, and somebody just pointed this out to me, there have been time periods where tips have negative returns. And that happens when interest rates go up, but it's not inflation. It's an increase in the real rate of return. Mm-hmm. So again, re- remembering when interest rates go up, bond prices go down, mm-hmm. tips are not insulated from that. If the increase in the interest rate is, is due to real increases. And, and that, that could very well happen somewhat to tips because real interest rates are really low right now. They are, yes. So I, I think some part of increases in interest rates will be real. Mm-hmm. I think some part will be inflationary, mm-hmm. and you'll be protected from the inflationary part, but not the part that's no increases okay. in, in real interest rates. So a small amount, perhaps. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so um, look at that. And certainly, mutual funds there are all sorts mm-hmm. of mutual funds that will manage uh, portfolios of, of tips for you. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And there, what they'll do is they'll they'll buy different maturities, you know, but they'll all be government uh, you no know, tips, but. They'll do different things. It can't hurt to open a prospectus or two and do a little research. So that's the way I personally own tips is in um, mutual funds. Yeah, and that that's probably a good way to go. And um, so ETFs, um, exchange-traded funds, huh? you like those? I do. Um, they've really become popular. They're, they're, I think, 20 years new now, so maybe maybe 30 years new. But the, the, the appeal is they're so easy to trade. So I, I can trade the S&P 500, 500 securities, just in, in one entity, just in an S&P ETF. Uh, I can sort of buy a mutual fund like that, but it doesn't trade like a stock. I have to go and buy a mutual fund. and So it's, it's got a little different uh, thing there. And, and the other appeal of an ETF is 
unlike a mutual fund where you need to pay taxes every year on it if it has gains or losses. Right. Now, with the ETF, you don't pay taxes until you sell it. Right. So yeah. that's that's become really popular as building blocks for portfolios. Yes. And many people, and, and myself included, I'm, I'm building target date funds for individuals using exchange-traded funds. Okay. Um, let's talk about some other inflation. I, I know I've gone sort of off script here, but... No, that's fine. It's, this is always I, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- exchange, and, and we, we, let's see. No, we have a lot of time. Good. Um, let's talk about some inflation-related investments. Um, we discussed during the break a little bit about gold. Sure. So I think it's helpful to start with the notion of what is money. So so money is a store of value and a means of exchange. If we get the inflation, I think we're going to get the store of value thing. It's not going to it's not going to be there. And that's where I think that the fear is set in. And I don't think we would have cryptocurrencies at all if it weren't that fear. So cryptos were intended to be a replacement for money. Crypto Will they be a store of value? They're so volatile right now. <laughs> Who knows? Crypto is Bitcoin. Bitcoin and mm-hmm. Ethereum and a whole host of oh. other sort of manufactured on the internet uh, versions of, of money. Yes. But Bitcoin is the biggest. That's right. Okay. So I, I think that's gained popularity because people are, are afraid. Um. The other sort of common alternative uh, when, you're, when you're fearful of inflation is, is gold or precious metals. And that is probably a good store of value, but not so good at being a means of exchange. So um, right, right. I, I personally own both. <laughs> But I, I don't own, and I'm not recommending them for anyone. I'm just saying, when you're thinking about how you're going to protect yourself, these are things to think about. The number one thing you need to think about is, are you taking too much risk right now? Number two is, when you move to defend, keep inflation in mind. Because if you were to go all to cash, which might seem safe, you might find uh, that you've actually lost value. Now, the, the quote I heard recently is, um, Venezuela and Argentina billionaires became penniless. Well, really? So it's happened. It's happened uh, you know, in recent history. So um, we, we've been talking a lot about interest rates, but there really are four things going on right now in the world that you feel are creating an environment where we have to be more cautious. Yes. As boomers. Um, can you talk about what those four things are? Sure. So we, we start our, our, my book with that, the introduction uh, with, with these four. Yes. And when someone tells you it's different this time, it's almost not true. Almost never true. But I think this time it really is different in four ways. And the first way is interest rates have never been lower. And that's a documented fact. It's undeniable. And if it, well, so they've started to go up a little bit, but you know, the press sensationalized the move from, we were down to a half a percent on 10-year treasuries. 
And then it went from there to one and a half percent. And the headline goes, interest rates triple. <laughs> it's like, give me a break. <laughs> they tripled from almost zero. So th- th- they're, they're still as low as they've ever been, but a little bit higher than, than where they were you know, six months ago. This is the debatable part, but by many measures, stock prices have never been higher. Warren Buffett has a bit. So the, the normal measure of, of whether the stock price is high is what's called price-earnings ratio. Mm-hmm. And the idea there is, what are you paying for earnings on, on the stock? That ratio normally runs around 15. It's running north of 30 now, so mm-hmm. more than twice normal. But the Buffett measure is, I think, at its all-time high, for sure. And, and that's, that's the ratio of the stock to gross domestic product, GDP. And that normally runs around 80. The last time it was above 100 was before the market crash of 2008. It's running at 230 now. Stock market is 2.3 times the uh, gross domestic product. So that measure is sort of, you know, that um, it's normalized. You normalize that the, the value of the stock market with a gross domestic product. So stock prices are maybe not the highest ever, by, by, but some people are arguing it's all justified because interest rates are lower and everything else, but they're, they're extremely high. The third one we've already talked about, the government has never, ever printed this much money. And I think before we did the deed in 2008, the economy would have come to a halt. All the gears were just seized up. Mm-hmm. And what would have happened after that, I don't know. But the decision to start to print money, I think, was justified by the fact that Japan had been doing it for almost a decade before then. And people pointed to Japan and said, look, they don't have inflation. Everything's just cool. So I think the early round didn't show up in normal inflation. It certainly slowed the economy down. Japan's economy is just squeaking along. It's not growing much at all. So, so ours is, you know, is going to slow down for sure. And then we got this real inflation on the horizon. So that's the third thing that's really different this time. We've never, World War II, we, we, we spent four and a half trillion. We spent twice that already in quantitative easing and COVID. Mm-hmm. Then the fourth one you, you see every day on TV. The wealth divide here has never been wider. And part of that has been the quantitative easing money went to the rich. So the rich have gotten richer. I just heard on the radio this morning, um, the scientists, owners of the companies now that are providing the vaccine have become, at a minimum, billionaires, many of them 10 times over billionaires, just from the uh, profits from the uh, manufacturing of the vaccine. So yep. big, big difference between the poor and the rich. Yeah, absolutely. And how does that impact things? I might interject something here as a thought that, that I think people on this call might find interesting. Mm-hmm. One, one of the episodes we did was, was about the um, living to 100, baby boomers living to 100. Yes. And I found this report that really blew me away. It segmented out the baby boomer population by net worth. 70% of our 78 million baby boomers, 55 million people, have saved less than $300,000. Wow. 
Right. $300,000 is not going to last you long in retirement. Those people are going to rely a lot on Social Security. Yeah. So we went through on that episode. It's not as bad as you think because Social Security can get you a fairly decent standard of living. Just that in this country. Until help is needed. Um, yeah. Until later well, in life. Yeah, well, the, 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 now you're to the punchline here, <laughs> but it's true. So mm -hmm. one thing that poor people have in terms of the fact that they probably will get seriously ill and, and need um, care. Medicaid is the, the lifeline for those people. Mm -hmm. For the rich people, and then they come to the, did you want to buy long-term care insurance? The rich people can probably afford it. The people in the middle have a serious decision to make. Do they want to buy long-term care insurance or do they want to take their chances? Right. Mm -hmm. The odds for a married couple not needing some long-term care before they die are less than 25%. So 75% chance you're going to need long-term care. Right. Yes. And, um, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot um, changing. I just did a bunch of continuing ed for my certification, and uh -huh. there's a lot changing in the long-term care arena. Sure. Um, it's making it very interesting, partnering with states and, you know, helping people. Anyway, there's a lot going on. But, well, that's good. Um, I mean, it's all good. Um, but, but you're right. Yeah. The very low income, um, although the government's going to be stretched, uh, with the amount of people that are going to need help, Medicaid Absolutely. continues to be the largest amount of dollars spent on long-term care. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so um, late life planning to me is pretty critical, and it rolls right into what you're saying about conserving assets because you're going to need them you, you are. later. And, you know, the, the, the official dates, not, not from reporters, but from the government, Social Security will run out of money technically, in 2026. Medicare will run out of money in 2034. Mm -hmm. And when we did the show on that, we got, so what do you mean run out of money? We got the press. And then we get back to, what's the limit? You know, we're poking the bear here. I know. So, I don't know. I hate that part. Um, so, um, let, me take, let me take another break. Uh, we're going to come back and finish up briefly talk about the four pillar the four pillars of smart investing we've touched on a lot of it and um wrap this thing up i'm here with ron sirs and um we're having a great time so learning a lot we'll be right back Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation offer practical step-by-step -step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. 
their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, so I need to give a shout out to two of my sponsors, TrueLink Financial and Decades Group. Um, I forgot to do that earlier, and I appreciate and thank them for their support. I'm here with Ron Sirs, and we're going to talk briefly about the four pillars of smart investing. Can you, and I know this is in your book, people can read it. Um, um, there's a lot more in your book. Uh, I'll say that before we, before we end, I'll speak to some of what else is in the book. But can you tell us about the four pillars? Sure. Uh, the first thing you want to do is, is separate the difference between savings and investing. Savings is you know, setting aside some amount of what you earn for the future. And number one, before you even get into the investing, nothing is going to matter as much as that savings. Investing is going to matter somewhat, but the savings are paramount. So the number one advice to, to people on this call is, is to save as much as you can. The number that number that comes up over and over again, and I'm not so I, I can't claim of research this, but it's fifteen percent. And many people look at that and they go, I fifteen percent of my savings. Like, <laughs> I'm just barely getting by and spending hundred percent of my savings. But how am I gonna mm -hmm. do that? But that's the number. Mm -hmm. So if if you can try to do that, uh, you should be just fine regardless of how you invest it. But the four pillars of investing start out with what I said earlier. You, you want to have an objective. And you may have a short-term objective, and that's okay. So some portion of your money, uh, you, you want to buy a house, for example. Um, the second pillar is determine the right amount of risk for achieving that objective. And you don't want, so the, the moral here is, don't put more money or take more risk than you need to do to get what you what you want to do with that money. So I'll say this about objectives. You really need to keep in mind throughout life that some portion of your money you need to be planning to spend when you retire. So that, that should always be a primary objective through time. And then as we go through life, we want to buy things, a house, a car, whatever. Mm -hmm. So you can certainly take some portion of your money and start to allocate to to, to, to buy the things you want. So an objective, then the risk that you want to take with that money. Then the third one is the only free lunch in investing, and it's diversification. And, and that, years ago, was, was, was a breakthrough. 
And what that really says is for the amount of risk you decide to take in that second step, the smart way to take it is not by putting it all in one stock by any means. What you want to do is spread it around and try to find a portfolio. And, and the consultants will use the words optimize. So they will try to optimize some mix of assets <clears throat> that has the highest likelihood of achieving your objective. And that's the only free lunch in investing. So they'll have stocks and bonds and real estate and other, other diversifying assets, and that's smart. And the fourth pillar of investing is so obvious, but I'll say it anyway. Don't pay a lot for that. <laughs> Keep your fees down. Mm. Uh, with exchange-traded funds now, I think you can do most of that at a fairly low price. Now, I'll even tell you, that for, for the do-it-yourself service I'm providing, I, I recommend exchange-traded funds and that there's seven of them, you know, stocks and bonds, real estate, cash, everything else. That portfolio, if, if you uh, use the ETFs I'm showing you, they're, they're just examples, but I, I use an example that, um, anyway, it comes to punchline. Like, you'll never pay more than five basis points, 0.05%. So you can really execute on your uh, investment fairly cheaply. Um, you probably will want to use a consultant, and I won't quote fees for consulting there, but that's generally money well spent. But I'm going to come all the way back to the beginning of the show. <laughs> if they're telling you 60-40 and you're a baby boomer, right. I, this would be very leery. Right. Well, and for people thinking about an advisor, I mean, just keep in mind, there are fee-only advisors, there are fee-based advisors, and there are commission-only advisors. And Definitely, so, and there's credentials, all sorts of different credentials. Credentials, so uh, look for the credentials and ask about fee structure, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they're supposed to explain it. And they're supposed to be fiduciaries. Well, that's right. actually since you're warning people here, There's, there's been... People who are selling stocks and bonds have a suitability standard. So right. people who are not, quote, fiduciaries are probably brokers and they may be trying to sell you something. And the SEC, Department of Labor, are trying to elevate that responsibility, but I think it's still a suitability standard. So you need to be aware of the difference between a salesman and a, an advisor. Right. Yes, I, I would stay away from commission only myself, but, mm -hmm. um, and for the do-it-yourself, you know, Vanguard Fidelity online person. Inexpensive, or, yeah, right. Or the, or the Ron uh, Sir's um, target program. What is that called? The Glide well, no, the, Yeah, the, there's two. When, the one for individuals is called Age Sage. Age Sage, yeah. okay. And, and that's the do-it-yourself site. The, the okay. one where we uh, use an advisor is called GlidePath. Okay. GlidePath Wealth Management. Great. Okay. And and so that's you a, mentioned I'm a serial entrepreneur and got a lot of balls up in the air. But I know you do. Yeah. So they're yeah, worth yeah. checking out, though. Age Sage, for those of us that are do it yourself. I have friends who are, and then I have friends who completely depend on the advisor to um, direct them. Sure. And, uh, and then there are, you know, advisors who are discretionary, who use discretion. You probably pay the most in a, yeah. in a fee for that. It's a high trust advisor. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, my, um, my favorite commercial, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. 
there's I don't know if it played uh, by you, but the commercial opens up and this this lady's um, on the beach and she's got her head in the lap of this guy, and they're on the beach, mm-hmm. and she says, to him, "Do you think uh, we can afford that that house that we've been looking at?" And he goes, "You think about it? Yeah, I, I think we can." And then she leans over and she goes, "So our advisor says it's okay, honey." <laughs> God. No, that's a trusted advisor. Yeah, that's a very trusted advisor. Um, okay, so so what? Um, so those are the four pillars. Thank you. Um, keep your fees down. Make sure you're diversified. Take the right amount, or determine for yourself what the right amount of risk is. Yeah, probably with the help of an advisor. With the help of an advisor, probably. And what are your objectives? What are your goals? Yes, um, exactly. Where are, you, where are you trying to go? And but key uh, of everything now is mm-hmm. save enough. <laughs> don't right. don't wait too long because uh, you you may find that your standard of living hard is hard to catch you- up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I think yeah, people. And and I think that's why a lot of boomers are working very late into yeah. life. Yeah. Oh, now you bring up something I do want to touch on. Thanks for reminding okay. me. Sure. The last chapter of the book is on retirement happiness. Yes. And that we did three episodes on. It was just so much fun. Um, but the sort of easy way to think about it, that you can get more complicated if you want. But the three things that you need are health wealth and gratitude mm-hmm. health is obvious you're not going to be happy if you're not if you're not healthy wealth matters but there's this hierarchy of needs i can't remember maslow's hierarchy of needs yes, and, and the base the, the, the first two bases are housing and uh food correct and, and you can get those even if you're only living on social security the rest of the pyramid is, is all in your head and it's basically mm-hmm. gratitude. So gratitude is a shortcut for um, what makes you happy. And one of our guests uh, wrote a book called Retirement, uh, Heaven, and Hell. And he comes on the show and he goes, I was forced into retirement. I hated it. And then I was retired for about three months. and It was hell. <laughs> and he says, I was trying to, to do what I thought I was supposed to do. And that was to do nothing. And that was hell for me. So now I'm in heaven. What I discovered is I need to be productive. Right. I need to have stuff to do. But he goes, mm-hmm. my mother does nothing and she's in heaven. So what I'm really saying is happiness for many people is different. Uh, so there, there are those who need to produce. There are those who just want to veg out. And probably most are somewhere in the middle of those two. But I, I, I just... Right. Some and, of that seems like just common sense, but I just thought it was well and, uh, and interesting the, to get your head around. Uh, and a, and, you know. a, and the point that um, some people work simply because they want to, um, yeah. not because they have to. And yeah, I don't imagine, for me, retirement doesn't, I mean, I'd like to take a little time, but mostly it's about uh, being able to do what I want. Yes. And, um, and when you want. And work yeah. less. Work yeah. less. Yeah. Exactly. And most Those importantly, do something you really like. And do that, things that, I really that, well, I'm already doing You're already doing that. Like, that, that so. That's you're you're fortunate because a lot of people I, aren't. I know. Yeah. My my father told me only ten percent. Uh-huh. And he said, and you really can't expect to be part of that. Mm-hmm. 
and it felt like a challenge to me. Yeah, there you go. But um, that was he and I had that great relationship. Thanks. So, so um, yeah. So, what baby boomers need to know is um, uh, about the risk zone. Watch those years before and after you retire. The five to ten years before and after. Um, look at those four pillars of investing. Um, you know, you're making choices all the time, and there are consequences. And Absolutely. We talked about that last week um, uh, when we were just talking about just moving and lifestyle and, you know, exercise and health and all of that. Um, and boomers can, you know, have a wonderful retirement. Sure. Absolutely. But um, the happiness factor is some of it's a state of mind. Yes. Absolutely. So, so I appreciate all that you have offered. I would like to um, direct people. I know uh, you're on Amazon, uh, both the Kindle and the paperback mm-hmm. can be purchased there. Sure. Um, tell us um, how we find you. You're on YouTube and Facebook and your website with your show. Is that a weekly show? Uh, the Baby Boy Investing Show is bi-weekly. So we do okay. two a month. Two a month. So okay. every other Tuesday. All right. uh, we just did one this past Tuesday. Great. So people can find you there. You have a website. What's the website, Ron? You know, there's several, but the, the, the one that matters for this show yes. is uh, Baby Boomer Investing. Those three words are strung mm-hmm. together. Dot show. Okay. And I don't know how my sister got it. Dot show. It says the. Uh, oh, good for her. Yeah, yeah. This, this is pretty clever. Okay. Baby so- Boomer Investing dot show. So thank you, Ron, for joining me. Uh, It's been a great show, uh, very informative. I've learned a lot. Uh, To my audience, I'd like to say join me and my guests live each Wednesday and or on demand at voiceamerica.com or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Um, Remember, if you're a loved one or experience a moment of crisis, go to aginglifenetwork.com where you can talk to a life care management professional. And have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time here at Aging Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.